Hi, everybody. It's Jean Nathan. It's Crosstown Conversations, and we are on the cusp of a explosive month of, of culture. Um, uh, I, I shouldn't say month, it's a season, uh, with Prospect 5 opening, with the screenings of the City of a Million Dreams by Jason Berry, a, a, a work of passion and um, caring for our city. Um, and uh, really a lot of art projects that come to the fore because it's the beginning of the season and because of prospect in part as well. Um, there's also some kind of protest going on that's riddled into the um, what's going on with um, the uh, art projects that are being shown. So we'll cover that too. But with me is Timothy Watson and Simonette Berry. Do you pronounce it Simonette or Simonette? It's Simonette. Simonette um, are with me. They are co-producers of City of a Million Dreams. And I am so looking forward to seeing this film um, because I've read at least parts of the book. I haven't read the whole thing. It's pretty significant work. And um, it has to have been really quite an experience to work on this. And that's kind of what I want to talk with you all about uh, because uh, we all have certain assumptions and, and certain base knowledge about our culture, um, but there's a lot that we don't know about really the foundations of things that we take for granted. So um, that's one of the purposes of this book and film is that it really delves into um, some of the real um, true origins of what we take for granted today. So. Um, either one of you can start first. Um, Simonette, you probably have uh, lived with this even longer than Tim. So let's start with you and uh, give me some sense of kind of what you learned, what you took away from working on this film. Thank you. Um, I took away so much. It's hard to quantify that. I started working on the film five years ago, about five and a half years ago, uh, my dad came to me and wanted to do a project together. And with my film industry experience as a scenic artist and a designer, he wanted to bring that in to, um, to this documentary that he was uh, pulling together. He's been shooting footage for now the past 25 years. Um, and it's really a labor of love and blood and sweat and tears. And just in the period that he has been filming, um, and, and even in the last five years that the three of us have been working on it, there have been some incredible moments in New Orleans history. But the film looks at uh, the entirety of New Orleans history from um, you know, when New Orleans was a site on the side of the Mississippi River called Bulbancha, which means place of many tongues, all through, um, you know, the, the formation of Congo Square, uh, you know, all, all the fires and floods and hurricanes and, um, you know, uh, wars and, and plagues that um, have, you know, come through New Orleans and changed it over the years, and the resilience and the rebirth of that culture finishing the film and realizing in the, in the year of COVID, um, in the year of, uh, or the year and a half of these storms that we've been dealing with most recently, it's made me feel like New Orleans can weather so much and still keep going and still have this resilience and, and beauty um, that will never be broken. 
Hopefully. I mean, we certainly are faced with existential threats with ocean rise. And um, uh, I, I think there's little doubt that there's going to have to be some substantial uh, adjustments, both in the way we build and uh, exactly where we uh, live within this footprint of this fabulous territory that we love so much that we can't leave it even after floods and fires and so on. Um, what about you, Tim? What was what was um, what, what's your, what was your takeaway? What did, what did you learn about the development of our culture that um, you thought you knew, but turned out to have some insights from the film that um, uh, maybe added some nuances to what you knew or thought? Sure. You knew? Yeah, I. Um... I moved to New Orleans in 1986 and I did not find out about the second line uh, traditions or certainly jazz funerals for many years. It was one of those things, I guess I was in a little bubble somewhere. <laughs> and um, so of course, fell in love with my city even more as soon as I uh, started going to second lines. Um, but I tell you what I found out, found out the most and, and the film does cover jazz funerals and then how they are related how second line parades came out of jazz, the jazz funeral tra tradition and, and of course uh, the Congo Square tradition. Um, but uh, Dr. Michael White who's one of our protagonists and has been filming with the director Jason Berry uh, since the beginning of the project in the mid nineties um, explains quite well on screen how Congo Square uh, which of course is rooted in African traditions, how the traditions there uh, inform our every move today in New Orleans. Um, it's, it's unbelievable to me. And, and really after seeing this film, when you, if you don't know, and many people of course know it quite well, and a lot of people don't know the history at all, but um, you have just a real appreciation for what is going on in uh, the minds of a lot of people who are, are carrying um, ancestral memory um, on their shoulders every day um, and what that means to go to a second line because you're bringing 300 years of, of your ancestors with you to that second line and dancing for six hours. So um, Dr. White just conveys that beautifully in the film um, along with some of our other protagonists, Deborah Cotton. Um, who was a New Orleans transplant in 2005, right before Katrina, um, and just completely fell in love with the second line tradition. Um, and then others, Greg Stafford, um, who's an amazing uh, musician, and uh, band leader and trumpeter, um, just adds so much to the film um, and so much of a subtle understanding. And then one other person I did want to mention, Fred Johnson, who is just terrific uh, the head of the black men of labor he also works with neighborhood development um and fred is another one who just um everything you ever wanted to know about the second line tradition he he knows it um I, on a personal note i took a class from fred in 94 and learned a lot about uh home buying and so he's been part of my life and i've been thankful to him for a long time um so i guess to answer your question succinctly, um, it's really all about the history. And when you go out there, you got to know why you're there, how you're still there, what everyone else is, what's, what's going on with everyone else. Um, it's not just grabbing a beer and, and 
having a good time on Sunday afternoon. It's, um, it's just a tremendously important part of our city's history that really no other city has that now. I mean, um, it's, we, New Orleans has hung on to its traditions like no other city in the US. So I'm just humbled and lucky to be a, a part of this city. I think that um, what I'm, I'm kind of reaching for uh, also is um, a kind of uh, the perspective that you all gained on the origins of um, some of these traditions. And by the way, I always emphasize the fact that while we have kept these traditions alive, um, I like to say that the past is not past in New Orleans, it's very much alive. Um, but one of those traditions is improvisation. And so improvisation implies innovation, invention. And, um, and, and we have continued to do that. I think a lot of people who came in, especially after Katrina, whose image of New Orleans was maybe rooted in our trad jazz, as we call it, the early jazz, learned a lot about all the different permutations of music that we have developed here that influenced other parts of the country and the world. And um, I think the curious question always is why here? And a lot of people have attributed it in, uh, to a couple of things um, that I've heard more often than other things. One, that um, it was a French colony initially, and the French had maybe a slightly more tolerant attitude towards the expression of indigenous culture than the British. So I've heard that story. The second uh, thing, of course, is that we had a preponderance of um, Black Africans coming to the city through the slave trade in New Orleans, because this was a major, I don't know if it was the center, but it was one of the major centers for um, slave trade. So that's a factor in terms of just, you know, numbers. And then of course comes the Haitian revolution, which literally doubles our population with people who again are bringing the African culture alive in the city. So disabuse me of any of those theories or enhance them or add things that are just other factors that determined this kind of second line, Mardi Gras Indian, um, set up, up, as some people say, um, uh, rhythms of, of New Orleans. I once interviewed Mick Jagger and I asked him what it was about New Orleans that was so important. And he said, well, it's the beat. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> you know? So anyway, uh, and it's a beat that no one else can do. I mean, I can listen to a band that's approximating the New Orleans sound and I say, uh-oh, they ain't from here. So we know that it's it's something that is truly um, uh, hard to um, to copy. Yeah, I mean, we certainly, we did not get into uh, folks leaving New Orleans so much more about people coming to New Orleans. So you have the late 1700s, uh, early 1800s, you have the Haitians, um, they double the size of the pop of the city, um, and then a uh, hundred years later, about you got Sicilians who, um, I think it's we pegged it at eighty thousand Sicilians who came to New Orleans over a period of time. So, what a huge influx! Um, yeah, it was a and lot then, that much. Right, and then right after that, um, the period you're talking about. Um, uh, well, I did want to throw in there that. 
what happened to Congo Square. So, as Simonette mentioned, uh, the gatherings there sort of diminished. And it, it seems that the government, in any way that it could, started trying to take over Congo, the, the space, uh, Congo Square. Renaming um, it. Among renaming it. Um, during the, the Civil War, uh, they would march, do you know, ex military exercises on the field so that no one else could be there. Um, after the slave revolt in 1811, um, uh, and I think in, in several other periods as well, people were executed at Congo Square. So it was sort of a, you know, a warning to other people um, who may try to start a revolution or such as that. So it, it was, the government definitely came in and, and noticed that it was sort of a town square, if you will, for people who were enslaved and, and tried to put a stop to that. Um, and that continued uh, into the uh, 1900s, the, the city built the jail right next to Congo Square. And so I can only imagine that people who were in jail there uh, in prison, their ancestors, they were thinking about their ancestors who had been at Congo Square. So um, yeah. everything they could to diminish it. Um, so, and then of course, as we talked about those influences that started mixing European and African music, um, in the late, well, the whole time, but certainly it really started coming together uh, once the Sicilian- Late 1800s, I guess, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, jazz came along. So, um, uh, so uh -huh. that did, we certainly have exported that to the world, to your original question, there's no doubt. Mm-hmm. that any observations on that? Yeah, we did. Um, you were talking specifically about reconstruction as well, and we we did cover reconstruction in the film. Uh, Tim before mentioned, uh, you know, the funeral of Andre Cayo um, in 1863 or 64, I believe, um, and that was the largest, um, you know, funeral uh, that we could could find um, historically. Uh, of an African-blooded person um, in New Orleans at that point um, in, in history. And, and from there, um, there, there were some things that ended up on the cutting room floor that were really fascinating about uh, a group called the Circle Harmonique, uh, which was a group of spiritualists in New Orleans that um, talked to the spirits of the dead, the, the folks that had recently passed, both in the Civil War and during Reconstruction. But we do cover... Um, uh, you know, the, the migration of uh, thousands and thousands of African-American folks uh, from the, the country to the city of New Orleans. Um, oftentimes, they're uh, former uh, enslaved folks that are uh, learning music and, and, and going to the city to become musicians. We talk about Henry Clay Warmoth, who um, was a... Uh, a... a um, a teacher uh, who went to surrounding um, plantations and taught uh, folks on those plantations how to play music, and many of them moved to the city and 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 became musicians. Um, so uh, Reconstruction, you know, then saw you know so many uh, cultures mixing together, like Tim mentioned, and uh, it's a really fascinating um, but also dark period in in history. 
Well, I would have to say New Orleans earns those two monikers of fascinating and dark equally uh, <laughs> yes. throughout our history. I'm sorry, Tim, what you were going to say? I was just going to say we have a lot of characters in our film, and, and Simonette mentioned um, Henry Clay Wormuth and, and the other person, John Brown Humphrey, uh, who was the, the teacher who went out, uh, and Henry Clay Wormuth was a former governor. I'm uh, sorry, I got their names mixed up. I that's knew okay. That's okay. That thought. happens to me a lot because we have so many fascinating. <laughs> we have so many people in the film. It was John Brown Humphrey that that did right. that, and Henry Clay Wormuth was a part of that story. But you're right, right, Tim. Thank you. Please, please continue. That's fine. No, I just wanted to say that. But picking up on that story, I mean, I can just he John Brown Humphrey traveled by train out to these outlying plantations and taught people music. I'm you can point to any one of, of these people who are so, the, the work that they did was so influential in, in where we are today. I mean, he probably trained thousands of, of musicians who then ended up in New Orleans. So that, what a base uh, to start with for the next generation. I, I, that's a new story for me. I, I, I hadn't heard that. I mean, uh, uh, the other um, myth that I've always heard about in terms of the origination of jazz is that, um, again, the marching tradition, which was attributed in some of the writings I read way back when I first came here, um, evolved as a result of, um, of musicians having to march, play music without reading music. And so that influenced, um, in part, the development of improvisation. That um, you know, if you're not reading music, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're making it up a little bit as you go along. And so that was uh, uh, has been pointed out to me. And it was the French uh, French marching bands. More so, you mentioned the, the Civil War um, uh, marching bands, but. I've always heard about the, the French marching bands and the French marching band tradition as being influential. And then the Spanish layer. So then uh, there were also these musicians who had come, I think for the 1884 World's Fair and stayed and they were teaching also. And so the trumpet, as it develops, the sounds of the trumpet in New Orleans um, was influenced also by that, uh, I, I'm forgetting the name right now. I'm such a bad person with names. There was this particular, um, musician from a, a Spanish, I want to say a mariachi band, but I'm not sure about that, um, who uh, hung in here, taught musicians, and uh, either one of you remember his name by any chance? I can't remember, but um, I, during that time, I mean, you got to think about, uh, and today you can hear a brass band coming, you know, three blocks away, and back then without a lot of car, a lot of traffic, you know, Oh, right. Any number, 20 different musicians could hear one other trumpet player uh, with some melody, and then each one of them could pick up and do a different riff on it. So you can just see how. Yeah. Which is how jazz works riff. anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And um, as Simonette mentioned, um, Bruce Rayburn talks about musicians in New Orleans have big ears, and that's exactly what it, what it is. And I think it was Danny Barker who um, first sort of expressed that concept as well. So. In the course of working on this and dealing with the history, um, to what extent did it prod you to think about the future of music in New Orleans? So I was pretty deeply involved with doing production of music. I did a series called The Dew Drop In at the Contemporary Arts Center in the late 70s, early 80s. And, um, you know, I kind of dipped into a little deeper into the music here. 
Uh, right now, I'm sort of out of touch because I don't go out as much at night. Um, uh, but I, I'm not sure I'm clear on where our music is evolving today, how it's shaping. And of course, there's always multiple trends overlapping, some um, taking on strength, some um, reducing in their impact. So, but was that part of the uh, thinking that you were experiencing as the film, even as your focus on the history, you had to be thinking about what's going on now and what's going to, what, how is our music um, scene and culture going to, um, shape up going forward what do you think so i can take that or so yeah go for it you go first <laughs> well i'll just i want to i'll quote the film one more time greg stafford in the in the film talks about the younger musicians and and uh trying out different things and he's all for it uh he just is, makes a, a point of saying that you have to hold on to the old stuff too and um i think that's that's a great lesson for all of us to remember uh it gives you what, what's there and what came before you is a good base and remember that and do that well and sort of learn the rules if you will and then you can break them uh, with new material so um, you know New Orleans music I mean we all know you can walk down the street and and see bluegrass you can see Caribbean music you can uh, just any number of people will be on their stoops play, just playing which is a great thing about our city and it'll just keep keep mixing and people will come up with new stuff and it it will always be great yeah you know to echo what what you said we really have one foot in the past and one foot in the future um whether that's with our daily rituals in the city with the music with the food uh the culture uh you know second lines uh, you know my dad talks about second lines as caravans of memory but we still have people that are new that are dancing around them in the second line that are creating new experiences at that very second line. And they will bring those experiences forward into the next generation. So what, what, what is New Orleans? You know, it's, it's, it's the past, it's the future. And during COVID, um, it, it, you know, I think we all realized the, the wonder that, that we had in, in so many live performances being available and then having them be taken away. I remember the first live performance that I saw coming back and I just had chill bumps and realized how big of a part of my life it was. What were you gonna say? Uh, it was um, when I first came here, I came here in 1972 um, doing political work. And then 73, I started full-time work at WDSU. And I remember covering my first second line that I was sent out and I was saying, you know, like, whoa, you know, what is this? It's, it's, um, it, it, it's very powerful. It's a very powerful music form and it, and it has a, a very powerful effect. And, and even to this day, of course, when you hear one in the distance, I live on Esplanade and Treme, so I, I, I can hear them, not necessarily from the second lines around Claiborne, but just in this neighborhood, there'll be some random um, second line honoring somebody. And um, it, it's, uh, it's such an incredible pleasure. Not to mention hearing a kid coming home from school band <laughs> practice playing his trumpet down the street. I mean, uh, that for me is just always gives me um, chills, just plain old chills. So, um, so again, uh, you know, uh, looking at the future, how, how do you feel about the future of music in New Orleans and, and its relationship with 
with uh, music worldwide. Do you see our influence remaining as powerful as, it's, as it has been? Um, do you feel like we still have new things happening? I mean, um, working on the history has to make you think about the future too. I think our history makes our present more powerful than ever. And, you know, as far as the future of, of music in the city, it's so vibrant right now, even with all the COVID restrictions, uh, you know, musicians are still traveling here. We're still finding ways to have second lines in festivals and, and do it safely. Uh, and it's the, the, the more and more I, I go out and see music, the more beauty and innovation I see. Um, I think we will continue to be, uh, you know, one of those cities and, and cultures that influences the worldwide music scene uh, for generations to come. I think the word is seminal. Oh, it's seminal. Oh, I... um, thank you so much, guys, for making time. I know it's a big night. I want to let you go because um, pretty soon, uh, I assume that you will take your seat at um, the uh, opening that's happening this evening, Wednesday, before the show airs on Friday. But the, the I know that um, it's going to be screened as the opening of the jazz, um, said it again, of the film festival. Do you know what day that is actually? So people can just kind of calendar it. You have to remember the first day of- Yes, um, it opens November 5th and runs- uh, Oh, that's soon. For 10 okay. days. And then, but an additional um, seven days online. So if you didn't, if you don't get to the theater or if you're not ready to head out yet uh, because of COVID restrictions, you can see, I don't know how many, but most of the films I think are available online. All right. Okay. This film is screening uh, November 12th. Uh, we, we do have a screening tonight, uh, the 20th, but again, November 12th at the AMC in Elmwood. So very lovely uh, theater, big theater, so people can spread out. And um, hopefully uh, we'll have a, a nice crowd there and you can go to uh, the New Orleans Film Festival website to get tickets. And I will actually be out at the Elmwood Theater this Saturday morning at 11.30 to hear um, uh, Terrence Blanchard's opera which the, the Met is airing live from their, um, from the Met in New York. Um, so I'm excited about that. And that also replays on Wednesday night at six. So I just wanted to sneak that uh, back into the dialogue for people to hear. Um, Timothy Watson and uh, Simonette Berry, both um, film industry veterans, um, certainly at this point after five years on this project. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Enjoy the screenings, <laughs> all of them. All right. And um, we're going to continue in just a moment with um, uh, Ron Bichet, who is one of our leading artists in the city, who is a P5 artist today. So here we are with Ron Bichet, who is an artist I've known, oh my goodness, I don't know how many years, but a lot of them. And um, he's been uh, actually an active member in um, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, which lately have has not been meeting a lot because we're so immersed in our strategic planning project. But um, he, he's uh, somebody who um, uh, walks the walk. He doesn't just talk the talk, let's put it that way. And he's been teaching at uh, Xavier for many years on the faculty and um, he's a fantastic artist, 
And um, I love his work. And I was very pleased to be able to purchase a piece once in an auction for much less than it was worth, I must say. And But I enjoyed very much. And I've, I've sent you pictures of how it's been hung. So you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, most important is that um, Ron Bechet is a P5 artist. And it's about time that uh, he was so recognized. And um, so I kind of want to start with... Um, First of all, reminding everybody that P5 is uh, a great big kind of art festival uh, spread out over the city with exhibitions at a number of different locations. And it brings in artists from really all over the world uh, and usually has a theme. And the theme this year is, let's see if I can get it right. Yesterday, you said tomorrow. And Yesterday, said tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I, I think you can tell from that phrase it implies that um, maybe things move a little too slowly in, in achieving change. And I think that's the underlying statement. Um, but Ron, I, I, I'm you know, excited to hear um, your feelings about being a P5 artist, uh, what kind of work you're presenting. Um, sure. And, then, and uh, let's talk about the value of P5 to our city. It, it certainly brings in a lot of uh, people and um, it, it's that for us is very important right now. Of course, with the pandemic, uh, kind of curtailing our visit visitation, but um, it's important in other ways. It's it's building relationships with people in the art world. I think is is one of the most important things about it. But from your perspective, what's it like to be a P five artist? Well, I'm, I'm extremely happy um, to actually uh, be a P five artist this year. I, of course, I am a born and bred and died in a wool New Orleans, uh, born at Charity Hospital and all of that good stuff. And uh, so it's, for me, um, just a wonderful opportunity to be recognized in your own city. Uh, and uh, uh, I love and have always loved the premise of uh, uh, Prospect from its initiation uh, after Hurricane Katrina um, and the levee um, uh, break for us, and uh, that's been something that uh, I've really respected of, of actually using the art as a way to uh, bring people together uh, and to bring them together in New Orleans and to understand the greatness of this uh, city in terms of its spirituality, um, its Africanism, uh, its uh, understanding of uh, how we bring people together. Uh, so I'm very, very happy to, uh, to be experiencing this. And I think um, I think it's fair to say that your art, um, in many ways, kinds of represents. Um, I, I've always felt that there was a spiritual thread in your work. It's abstract. Um, sometimes it 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 has a kind of representational context in 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 often being um, in the woods is the way I would describe it. But yeah. um, there's definitely you're you're really sort of. Um, looking up close at life. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think, you know, um, I hope that there's a, a, a sense of spirituality in it. Um, um, certainly, uh, whenever I make it, uh, it is um, definitely in, in my hands. Um, uh, and I think that uh, the way that I work, I, I'm a, I work improvisationally, so I never know what's gonna end up uh, on the on the wall, and lately I've been working a lot with charcoal and paper, uh, large scale charcoal drawings, and um, I'm 
always fast. I've always been fascinated by um, what happens in, in nature and what happens and how we are uh, as uh, human beings, as humanity are a part of that nature. And um, for me, the, the scale becomes important because um, we generally tend to think about ourselves as bigger than what we actually are. Um, we are only a small part of this big cycle uh, that comes through us. And, and, uh, and for the title for this uh, for prospect, it means a great deal for me uh, in terms of the way that I work and what I think of uh, my, my interest and my, uh, but the point I'm trying to make with it. Uh, yesterday, we said tomorrow, yesterday looks back to the past. Um, uh, we said is, is now um, uh, somewhat in terms of, of thinking about now, uh, although it sounds it's in the past tense and tomorrow is the future. And so I think about it in those terms too, that you know, as human beings, we, we, um, we think uh, we're so important, but when we actually are looking at it from the really perspective of, of nature and time, that we are so minuscule, we're only a drop. I don't even say we're a drop in the bucket, you know, <laughs> uh, we're not even a drop in the ocean, you know, so it's uh, in terms of, uh, of our significance and our importance. And uh, I think it's important for us to recognize that. Yeah, I um, I, I see that uh, in your work, and um, I think you know I, I've always found that there are moments in every day when you uh, move in some kind of mental dialogue between the the moment that you're at and what you're doing and some historical perspective that flashes before you because yeah, our history has a subconscious will of its own. It just mm -hmm. kind of pops up in the brain. Oh, wow, why did I think of that? And something that you're experiencing that makes you think of that. And then thinking about the future is daunting because mm -hmm. it, that is completely unpredictable and uncertain no matter how much you think you can kind of foresee a certain trends, but it, it's hard. It's really hard to deal with the future, especially I think I find looking at the cosmos, you know, when you see these pictures of Milky Ways and satellites and and um, uh, black holes and, and uh, all the things that we're seeing from the telescopes that are trained on this space. Um, wow, that talk about feeling a little small. Um, yeah. You, you, that really puts uh, human life in perspective. You know, what are, what are we in relation to the universe? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I like to um, recall sometimes thinking about whether or not you, um, when you go alone, how far do you go? And uh, the old saying about, if you wanna go far, right? Then you go as a group and yeah. you go beyond. And so working um, with other people uh, in context uh, of, um, of service is, uh, is a very important part too, I think, of uh, how we can um, cooperate as, uh, as the future for humanity or the future for who we are as human beings. And I think of you in those terms also, because my experience with you is not just as an artist, but you and I have, um, I, I think the first time I ever sat across the table from you was uh, during discussions at the CAC about its future when I was really, um, long past the early days when we were founding it and we were just um, at a point of transition talking about how we were going to go forward and we were talking about what, what the board should do and, and things like that. And I, I just remember so clearly 
that I was in tune with your perspective a lot about making sure that we were being inclusive, that we were giving people a chance to participate in a, in a meaningful way and um, having artists on the board, which was something we always kind of had to keep fighting for over the years. We started that way, but we had to keep fighting for it. Um, so yeah, I think of you in that service context uh, as well, because um, also there are people who sit on boards because they'd like to have their name on that board. And there are people who sit on boards because they um, really want to help make a difference. And, and you're the latter. Uh, yeah, I hope so. I, I try to be at least. <laughs> I try to make a difference, um, you know, uh, and it's true. they have a meaning and a purpose for what I do. You know, um, that's that's really important. To me. And your teaching, how does your teaching play into um, how you are sh are shaped and help shape others' um, artistic um, uh, careers? Well, I think um, I've been teaching at Xavier um, for a number of years, for 21 years. And before that, I taught at SUNO for, for eight years. And um, uh, so I feel very, very fortunate, actually, to be able to interact with this generation uh, in a way where um, I can I can be helpful, be a mentor, uh, to help them understand what they need to do to move forward in their lives and in their arts career. Um, art making is a really tough thing. And um, we can't get sometimes art making too confused with the business of art. Um, uh, art is a business and it can be a business, but also too, the art making sometimes is totally separate and helping students kind of understand, you know, that there's a difference there, uh, I think is important. Um, and we've had a number of students to go and I'm, I'm very proud of one this year that uh, went on to study art history at Columbia University in New York. Um, and uh, there are many of them who have gone on to do wonderful things. Uh, so I'm very, very uh, blessed uh, to know them for one thing and to also have played some role in helping them understand what they really want to do with their lives. And hopefully a lot of them have gone into areas where they also give back, that they pass on the information that they have developed with me and with others um, to work through some of those things that really make them great. So I, I, I'm very curious about the, the newer generations. I don't have children. So my experience is through my interns. And um, I only get to interface with them uh, in, in kind of a task-based way. Uh, although um, they're, especially the group I have right now, they're very communicative. And so uh, they like to talk about their lives. But um, I have to admit that I often am sort of, you know, trying to figure out their perspective, their context and how they think as compared with, um, you know, I'm definitely, I, I've, I've always viewed myself as being future oriented and um, embracing the new, but at the same time, I have to admit to my age and, and, and there are aspects of the way I do things that are kind of old school. So I'm kind of, you know, they'll, they'll be doing something and I'll be thinking, now what is in their minds right now? So what, <laughs> what um, how, would you, how would you describe the art student of today with the art student of say 10 years ago or, or even longer since you've been teaching, is there a way that you would characterize, I, I'm, I'm asking to be educated right now <laughs> from yeah, all the work that you do with your young folks um, as to, yeah, how they think. I, I think, you know, I'm not, uh, I guess I only have a perspective of, of our students here, but 
but certainly they are far more open-minded mm. um, and they have been in the past that they, they um, I find them you know to be even more accepting of this old dude you know um, and to to want to listen a little closer uh, to um, and they have a lot of questions that you know this group that I have now is very very inquisitive um, they ask me a lot of questions um, uh, they also are you know um, one of the drawbacks for me that I'm trying to learn with them is they're a little more instant than we are you know um, before we would say things take time and you know you would want to take your time and and sit back and look at but no nah, they they wanted you know um, they expect me to email them back immediately <laughs> I know um, you know so that's a little hard for me to understand but um, because I you know my, my brain doesn't work that like that fast with uh with social media, uh, but yeah. uh, that's where they are, you know. So, so my lesson to you back on that is that I I have a practice. In fact, I have a message on my message uh, stream that says, if this is uh, time sensitive, and you don't hear from me right away, pick up the phone and call me. Because that's <laughs> another thing they don't like to make phone calls. They don't like to. Not phone calls they want you yeah. to return immediately in the in the uh messaging but they right. don't really want to make that phone call so um yeah I, I try to leave that message and when i talk to them in in and they say well did you see my email and i'll say um no you know i don't sit and watch my email all my my uh, my messages all day more so the email because i'm just used to that more but um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. But I, I think the most interesting thing you said and the most important is that they're more open-minded and um, yeah, that's they, really encouraging. Yeah, and, and far more tolerant, um, I think in some ways. Um, and uh, really want to uh, experience, uh, even if it's a virtual experience, you know, uh, new things. Um, so I, I'm, uh, I've been very pleased with that. And, and um, that's been different even within the past five to seven years. Um, you know, that yeah, there was a group back then that were, you know, much more close-minded, much more um, insular. Um, and yeah. now this particular group, you know, now, now that they are older, uh, I, I hate to keep thinking about this and, and comparing them, but um, the students that I'm teaching now were born um, after uh, uh, 20, 2000, you know, so um, that's that's where they are now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I tease a lot. I say, you know, I have shoes older than you, but, you know, <laughs> and I still wear. I have a whole closet full of clothes <laughs> older than them. Um, I, I also, um, I, I'm struck by the extent to which, um, you, you talked about the, the questioning and the inquisitiveness, uh, um, but also I think the creativity. I think there's greater uh, respect for and interest in creativity. But I, I do wanna uh, move on and ask you about um, what you are expecting in the way of the exposure you're about to get from Prospect, because that's one of the most important things about Prospect is it really does give um, not, not only the artists who are brought in from elsewhere, but our local artists exposure to people, whether they're in the prospect program or they just have an art show going on at the same time as prospect, which is what I am usually involved in. 
um, there's the potential for relationships to form and, and exposure to develop. So what's your, what's your hopes for that? You know, I, 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 this has just been my, my lifestyle. Um, uh, and I guess it's part of my improvisational nature in even making the art. Uh, what comes, you know, uh, it comes and what happens happens. I, I am, um, I, I love the possibility of having, you know, uh, to meet more people and, and to develop relationships and, and to understand, you know, um, my art better and to, uh, to be able to have the possibility of, of of understanding um, new ways of thinking from other people. Uh, and I guess that's my expectation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to, um, to talking to, to more people, to understanding them and to, and to see what they see in my work, you know, um, if anything. Um, yeah. Well, you know, they'll uh, see something, but it, it, it is interesting to have your work uh, exposed to new people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. And, and, uh, I, it's, I've been at this for a little while, and um, I'm just uh, happy to, um, for me, uh, to be able to uh, have a conversation. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I've been very lucky to have wonderful conversations with, with great people. Uh, I think they're great people, and, and uh, I'm looking forward to that again. Um, just being able to uh, have the conversations with Naima uh, and, uh, and Diana. The curators, yeah. The curators. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, Naima <laughs> Keith and the two curators. You're breaking. You're breaking. Uh, and, and it's, I'm sorry. You were just breaking up, so we lost their names. You might want to try repeating them. Okay, so um, uh, um, Naima Keith and Diana Nall are the two prospect curators this time around for Prospect Five. And uh, they have been wonderful to work with. Um, they have been artist-centered. Uh, they have been, you know, uh, able to kind of um, develop uh, their plan uh, with the artists and, and based on what they see with the artists. And, and um, it's been really, um, that's one of those conversations that I've been blessed to have uh, with those two ladies. And, and also, too, their support staff. Mm -hmm. And so your show, um... Uh, your exhibition will be at the Newcomb <clears throat> Art Museum, um, which is on the campus mm -hmm. of uh, Tulane. And uh, quite frankly, I'm always trying to help people navigate how to get somewhere in terms of parking and so forth. So can you kind of um, give our audience a little bit of a sense of how should they plan to get to the Newcomb Art Museum uh, in terms of, you know, literally directions and parking? <laughs> Yeah, um, not, not 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 straight. You know, it's right. A little yeah. challenge. Yeah, it's a little challenge, uh, especially now they're doing some construction. But um, I find it um, very simple to go on Broadway. Okay. Um, and so Broadway, and I forget the cross street uh, before you get to um, Newcomb. But if you um, if you park on Broadway, and if you think about where the boot is on Broadway. Um, just before you get to the booth, there's usually some place to park there. Oh, and then you walk into campus. Um, uh, Newcomb Way is another way that you can go um, to, to park and to be able to walk onto the campus. And um, from Broadway, you can walk um, uh, to, new, to the uh, museum uh, right directly from Broadway, just through um, the big large gates past the, um, 
the big beautiful uh, field there and um, yeah. it's right to your left. Right. Uh, and it's actually a beautiful museum. And uh, for those who have been there, it's it's quite spacious. It's, it's more spacious than I think people anticipate. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's ground level, so it's easy to get to. You don't have to climb through, you know, classrooms on the second or third floor, although there may be exhibitry right. on the uh, upper floors, but still your entry is, is ground level. So it's, it, it's easy enough to get to. And I, I highly recommend it. I've enjoyed um, a lot of the shows that I've seen over the years in, in the uh, Newcomb Gallery. So, exactly. okay, H how do you, what, what's your feeling about the impact that prospect will have this year on New Orleans. It's a little bit different. I mean, the COVID is a challenge. Hopefully there's not gonna be another variant uh, over the course of um, uh, prospects dates this year, which start this um, Saturday, right. um, which is, let's see, Saturday, October 23rd and continue through January. I think it's 27th. Uh, 23rd. January 23rd. 23rd. Okay, so 23rd and 23rd. So, um, yeah, um, do you have any uh, instinct about this particular prospect and, and, and how people will view the work being shown, the story it's, being, it's telling and, and, and its impact for the city? Well, I think um, as usual, the uh, impact of prospect will depend on, you know, how, how people um, come out and actually experience it. You know, it's all over the city. There's, there are pieces actually in New Orleans East uh, this time around. And um, yeah, it's, uh, um, and not only are the pieces around, the art is around, but um, if you look at Prospect's website, they tell you how to get to them, um, where to park and uh, maybe where to find some place to eat uh, that they recommend. And so all of that too, they have on the website. Um, so, you know, the, the, not only do you get to experience great art, but you also get to experience the places in New Orleans that you may have not experienced before. Uh, so, uh, I, I see at the bottom of the little page, the uh, cheat sheet I have of the dates, that the website is listed here as prospectneworleans.org um, yes. backslash P5 hyphen opening. Although I know I'm, I myself am going to go P5 and find it that way. But, uh, yeah, um, you can, yeah, it, it, you can get to it in many different ways, but, but that's um, uh, one of the things. And that's, so being able to move people around, um, uh, even, even New Orleanians, you know, around through the, their own city. Sometimes people, I ask people, do you know about um, Lincoln Beach, for example, or some of the other places that people don't know? And I'm fascinated all the time about um, uh, how much uh, new experiences we have to still gain in the city, even for us who are New Orleans. Exactly. Well, I'm going to have to let you go. We're about out of time, but I, I, I can't uh, let you go without just a brief note of the fact that you have such a creative ancestry. So, you know, I'm asking you to mention the fact that one of the more famous um, innovators uh, of culture in history is um, one of your ancestors. Just just mention him. We won't go into a conversation. I, I'm <laughs> so uh, Sidney Bechet, who is um, uh, uh, probably the one of the greatest improvisationalists. Um, uh, he, he played a soprano saxophone. He's known for his soprano saxophone, but also clarinet. Um, is my uh, great grandfather's youngest brother. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, more directly, he was the youngest of the family and my great grandfather was the eldest in their family. Uh, so that's my, my connection to, to Sydney. Um, well, it's, I would have to say it is also a um, genetic creativity is your connection. And I'm okay. happy to have been able to experience it all these years, Ron. I, I appreciate so much um, who you are, what you do in your art. So have a great Prospect Five. And, well, thank you. Um, uh, keep, 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 stay in touch with me. Let me know what's going on. I know uh, one of these days I'm gonna finally, um, I'll, we'll talk more about the issue of getting our meetings going, but- um, uh, But if anybody come out um, on Tuesday, um, I'm sorry, not Tuesday, uh, Saturday um, at Newcomb, there's gonna be a little reception at two o'clock. Oh, thank and, you, okay. Um, uh, we'll have a conversation with the artist. Uh, at, uh, I think it's at 2.30. Uh, so if anybody's interested this Saturday, the 23rd to come and uh, see the Newcomb exhibition, you'll see that. And then the CAC has an open house, I think at five o'clock. On Saturday? Yeah, I, I haven't seen um, all of the more detailed um, calendar items yet. All I have is the, the thing that says, you know, which venue is open on which day. But thank right, you right. for that. Saturday, the 23rd at Newcomb, Artist Conversation, and then five o'clock at the CAC. Yeah, uh -huh. I think right. they have all else. Thank you. So things thank are you so open. much. Mm -hmm. All righty. Thank you, Jean. I'll, right. I'll see you out on the Prospect Trail. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Happy Prospect Trails. Thank you. All <laughs> Thank right, y'all. This is um, Across Town Conversations, Gene Nathan, uh, uh, in the middle of an explosive time of culture. And um, one of my assistants worked very hard on uh, giving me a, a little piece of text that she wanted me to read for you. So if you or someone you know would like to be added to our weekly newsletter, um, email us at crosstownconvo at gmail.com. The newsletter is a whole other level of what we do. And a lot of people really like the newsletter because quite frankly, in my letters, I kind of go off a little bit on times on things and, and people seem to enjoy that. But also we have an eclectic mix of news beyond what is on our shows. So thank you again to Ron and um, to you all for listening and uh, tune in next week. Gene Nathan for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK, what people are talking about. Thank you.